Welcome to A Certain Age, a show for women on life after 50 who are unafraid to age out loud. I'm your host, Katie Fogarty. Did you know the average age for a woman to hit menopause is 51? Thank you, Google. Google also tells me that menopause comes with an assortment of symptoms. Vaginal dryness, hot flashes, chills, night sweats, weight gain, mood changes. It's like a buffet of things that absolutely nobody has any interest in eating. I'm very excited about our guest today who'll be walking us through the smorgasbord of symptoms and coaching us on navigating menopause with our sanity, health, and overall wellness intact. I'm joined today by Dr. Anita Sadati, a board-certified OBGYN. She is the founder of Redefining Health Medical, a women's health practice in Long Island, New York. She has an astonishing list of credentials, attending physician for the Northwell Health System, assistant clinical professor at Hofstra Medical School. She's a Cornell Med School grad, former chief resident at North Shore University Hospital. She recently did a two-year certification in integrative medicine, but perhaps her coolest career moment? She delivered J-Lo and Mark Anthony's twins, Emmy and Max. Welcome, Anita. Thank you, Katie. Happy to be here. Before we dive in and talk all things menopause, I want to start with a very quick story. I have known Anita for 11 or 12 years. We met on a tennis court, and we were both doing a Saturday morning clinic for, for working women. And uh, another woman in town invited me to play tennis and suggested that we do doubles and each bring a friend. And I thought to myself, you know, I don't have any friends who play tennis. And then I remembered Anita, and I asked her to join us. So the four of us wound up on a tennis court early one morning, and at the time, I had three kids, and my youngest was, you know, well under two and still getting up in the middle of the night. And I was complaining to the women about how exhausted I was. And the other two women are all like, me too, me too. We were up with our kids in the middle of the night, and it's so hard being a mom with young babies. And we all turned to Anita, and she kind of shrugged and said, you know, I'm a little tired too. I was up delivering two babies last night. And we all looked at her and we're like, okay, fine, you win. (laughs) And my first thought was like, I need to drink more coffee. And then my second thought was, uh, who is this badass woman? I had no idea that she was an OBGYN. She was delivering babies. She was bounding around the tennis court, like kicking ass. She was so gorgeous and smart and interesting and dynamic. And I thought, I need this woman in my life. So I am... Uh, We've been friends ever since, and I'm so thrilled that she is here uh, joining me as my first guest on this podcast. My God, thank you, Katie. That's that's wonderful. I didn't know I was going to get such accolades this morning. (laughs) I know. I mean, you're amazing. Um, So not only are you a fantastic tennis player, you are also an expert on all things women's gynecological... <laughs> That's hard to say. Women's gynecological <laughs> health. So I'm curious, what are the uh, top three to four concerns that your patients consistently come to you with about this change in this period in a woman's reproductive health? That's a great question. I'm, I, I'd have to say that the top um, four things that women say about their menopause or their transition time that's really troubling is uh, number one, weight gain or weight loss resistance. Number two is hot flashes, night night sweats, and also interruption in their sleep kind of can go hand in hand. The third thing is fatigue, you know, just this significant kind of just tired, unmotivated, um, lack of energy type of thing, which is it's very troubling to a lot of women. And then 
the fourth thing is vaginal dryness or pain with intercourse. I'd say those are the top four things that women complain to me about. That's so interesting because hot flashes get a lot of press. You know, they've got like a good PR agent. But I, I never heard about the overall fatigue as being a symptom. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? What would a woman who's experiencing fatigue do to manage that? Well, I'd say that I'd like to sort of give a little bit of an example in my own life that happened. This is when I sort of really understood what was going on for patients when they're hitting perimenopause and menopause. Is that you know as you as you mentioned my my life was pretty pretty busy and very overscheduled and any sort of time that I had to myself I was scheduled for either playing tennis or going to a dance class or you know doing something I was very um, uh, regimented as far as my my fitness and one morning when I was supposed to I think do a dance class and then follow up with tennis <laughs> I was starting office hours at one o'clock in the afternoon. And I woke up that morning. I was like, I, I, I can't get out of bed. Like, what is this? I felt so exhausted. And I think the best word is depleted. I think that's a word that a lot of patients, it really resonated with me, what they were talking about, because that's exactly what I was feeling. I was like, I, I can't go to work. I can't do anything. You know, it, it's this such severe level of fatigue and depletion and lack of motivation. It was almost like, oh my God, I, I need to kind of get away from my life. You know, it was, it's not a normal feeling. And uh, it just so happened that that afternoon I was going to, uh, not that afternoon, that weekend I was going to a conference and it was given by another OBGYN and the topic was adrenal fatigue. And he started describing exactly what I was feeling and exactly what so many of my patients were feeling. And what I came to learn was that underlying the loss of of female hormones, when we talk about estrogen, progesterone, we kind of correlate that with menopause. But really, that fatigue is coming from a deeper area. Um, this this level of stress hormone imbalance actually underlies a lot of fatigue. So, if fatigue is is a main symptom for someone, I really want to dive into what their stress hormone situation is like and. Um, you know, kind of what their bank account for stress hormone is like, you know, what are you putting in to regenerate and restore and replenish yourself versus what are you taking out? I love I love that idea of a, of a bank account where you're making deposits. So what are some of the, you know, the, the de- uh, positive deposits you could be making into your bank to manage your your energy? Yeah. So I this and this is really kind of underlies, I think, most of the symptoms that we're going to talk about. But the big four pillars of health, I like to call them, are related to your sleep, your nutrition, your stress hormone balance, and your movement or your exercise. So we have to examine each of those things individually in order to figure out what's not right for what you're experiencing. And what should somebody be experiencing ideally? I mean, I think some of us think that you know menopause just happens and you have to maybe endure it. If you were trying to manage it and, and sort of thrive during this period of time, what uh, would be sort of your optimal health and benefits? Uh, so, yeah, you know, I think you're 100% correct that any of the symptoms that we're talking about for menopause, whether it's hot flashes, uh, even vaginal dryness or fatigue, um, weight loss resistance, all of those things are are better managed once we dial in what the appropriate lifestyle pillars are. So for nutrition, let's just start with that. I want to make sure that somebody is 
is eating an anti-inflammatory diet. So what I mean by that is that you're really um, focused in on lots of different types of vegetables and fruits, healthy proteins, healthy oils, um, healthy fats. Like I think a, a big misconception is that fat is terrible for you and it's actually so important. I mean, it really rebuilds all your cell membranes and which impacts how your health, how your brain works and how your hormones stabilize. And so uh, I want to make sure that patients are are having a really well-rounded um, but very vegetable-dense kind of a diet. There's nothing better for menopause than to aim for like 7 to 10 servings of, of fruits and vegetables and more vegetables than fruit because we do want to be a little bit careful about our sugar. Um, the second thing with diet is that the two most favorite things for us, which is caffeine and alcohol, <laughs> are <laughs> – are kind of the worst for menopause. I find that Boo. if, yeah, I know, shoot the messenger. Um, but if if anybody is having any type of a sleep disruption issue or if you're having any anxiety or mood instability, then caffeine is really not your friend. Alcohol is another thing that will, will trigger hot flashes, especially wine. Sadly, wine is a huge trigger for hot flashes and night sweats. So I want to I wanna look into really how much are, are women consuming. Um, and I like to talk about it in terms of like a week, over a week's time. How many glasses of alcohol are you having a week? Because the number is a lot worse than when you say per night. <laughs> that makes that makes so much sense to take that kind of uh, more global view of your week and what you're doing. You know, you mentioned hot uh, flashes a few times, and I joked earlier that they get great PR. Um, you know, we, I think a climate change needs their PR agent. Everyone associates menopause with hot flashes, and I have to say that I'm 50. I went through menopause last year at 49. I didn't have any hot flashes. And I'm like, I am doing this right. This is like, <laughs> what's going on? And You are. Go, girl. <laughs> but then I realized I was having these, like, toxic waves of, of like, just rage. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, maybe this is the hot flash. Mm-hmm. So, But it wasn't happening in the middle of the night. It was happening when I was interacting with my husband or looking at the news, you know, and I would just find myself, you know, like, almost like a toddler consumed with just rage. Yeah. It was weird. Yeah. Help me out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, you know, it's so interesting how different things are going to are going to affect you know each individual, you know, differently, but uh, I would say that mood instability is we'll call it that. How's that? That um, sounds good. Mood instability, not toxic sounds rage. Sounds like a do- toxic rage. <laughs> I love That's that. That's more accurate though. <laughs> right. So, to- so let's go with that. Toxic rage is uh it, to me that it also speaks to an adrenal health imbalance because what happens is that when you're – and it's actually more a depletion of your stress hormones. And I'm going to tell you right off the bat, like a third kid automatically puts you into an adrenal stress imbalance. <laughs> like there's just no way. Um, but having a full career, having multiple children, you know, juggling the kinds of things that contemporary women are juggling these days – trying to keep fit, trying to be on top of everything. It's just, it's a lot to handle. And again, we're sort of, we're withdrawing a little too much from our bank account. So what happens is that with adrenal stress, our main hormone that we want to rely on to maintain equilibrium, to keep inflammation down, to keep our sugar and insulin balanced, to keep our brain balanced is cortisol. Mm. But unfortunately, 
when we are using up too much cortisol, when we're sort of using it all the time, we didn't get enough sleep. Maybe we're using up too much caffeine because caffeine triggers the release of cortisol. Maybe we've had some stressful situations or maybe you've had an injury, a physical injury where you know, you need cortisol to heal that inflammatory response. You know, there's a million or, or food might not be great. The type of food you're eating may not be great for you. That's another thing that creates inflammation. So anything that creates stress or inflammation requires cortisol to step in. And the problem is that oh, after time, your adrenal just stops listening. It's just like, you know, it, it just stops listening. It's, to like a kid. it's like a little kid. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I like to say that, you know, for, for people of our generation, remember the Charlie Brown, you know, listening to the teacher, the wah, 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 you know. So that is what the adrenal does. It's like it's not listening anymore. It won't respond. But unfortunately, your body knows, well, we need to get some help with what's going on in our system right now. So guess what the the batter up is? Like the second person on the bench is adrenaline. Mm. And that just doesn't feel so great. It's not that smooth ride that cortisol gives you. It's this really significant jolt. And so when you have an adrenaline rush as opposed to a cortisol lift, it's it's anxiety producing, it's anger producing. It's hot flash producing. It's night sweat producing. It's just it it has just a lot of, of negative consequences. It gets the job done, but not in a. It's not painless. It, you know, you definitely feel it. I like the uh, the idea of a cortisol lift. You know, something that's supporting you and and, and helping you. Um, so sleep is is one of the things that can help reset cortisol. Is that correct? Oh my god, absolutely. And I think that. Sleep deficits are probably the number one cause of, of adrenal hormone disruption. And there's no, I mean, this day and age, nobody's really getting restorative sleep. So, I mean, to begin with, the most restorative sleep happens between 10 p.m. and 2 a.m. That's when your adrenal heals. That's when your brain heals. That's when you get the best quality sleep. And, you know, rarely are people going to bed at 10 o'clock. So let's start with that. Secondly, you need to get you need to get eight hours of sleep. So a lot of people think they can operate well on six hours of sleep. I'm going to tell you right now that genetically, less than 5% of the population is wired to be able to function optimally on six hours of sleep. So eight hours is really what we're, we're aiming for. And for some people, it may be even more, maybe nine. Um, so you want the uh, quantity to be okay and you want the quality to be okay. And the quality of sleep is super, super important. You know, are you getting into deep sleep? Are you getting into restorative sleep? So the non-REM sleep tends to be what we toss aside when we shorten our, our sleep at night. And so, um, Trying to get eight hours ensures that that non-REM restorative sleep is is um, being fulfilled as far as our sleep criteria. Um, we also are just so wired at night. You know, the blue light screens from our iPad or the TV or computers, iPhones, that blue light kills your melatonin. And everybody knows melatonin is important for onset of sleep. It really helps trigger sleep. But when you are constantly exposed to um, bright light or blue light, which is what artificial light is, um, you kill your melatonin level. And it, as a matter of fact, the opposite happens. You get a high in your cortisol, which is all about being awake and being energized. 
Absolutely. We, uh, my daughter, who is 20, has invested in these blue uh, light reading glasses, and she's found they've made a huge difference in her you know, screen time and her sleep. And I think that you might have been the one that coached her on, on minimizing blue lights, and I haven't taken that on yet, and I need to. Although I've been good about keeping my phone out of my bedroom. I've been good about reading before bed versus TV or looking at my phone before bed. And that, I think, I was really inspired by Ariana Huffington, mm-hmm. who really has taken on owning sleep as, as a health issue. And I think she really has elevated people's understanding that sleep is such a critical tool for uh, health, wellness, even business success. She talks about how her businesses are doing better now that she's getting those eight hours of sleep. Um one of the things that I think doesn't get a lot of press sometimes when we talk about menopause is libido and, and sex and like the physical changes in your body. In advance of this session today, I went on your website. I wanted to see what you were sharing, what services you were offering to your patients. And I saw something called vaginal laser therapy. <laughs> and I was like, what the what? <laughs> You what? Tell you us more about this. <laughs> you can't unsee that now. <laughs> <laughs> no, <Yeah>. you cannot. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, those are such good questions. I think um, uh, vaginal health and um, enjoyable sex and painless sex have gotten, you know, the short end of the stick for women in menopause. Um, so for the last you know, 25 years of my practice, one of the main things that we use to help women with vaginal dryness and painful intercourse. So, so just to, just to um, back up for two seconds, with menopause, with the drop um, in estrogen, um, the vaginal tissue tends to get affected really significantly with respect to thinning and lack of lubrication uh, and elasticity. Um, there's also a big drop in blood flow, which, you know, as you know, is important for achieving orgasm or having a quality orgasm. You want good blood flow. All those things go down when you lose estrogen. So for some women, it doesn't always have to happen. And I'm not 100% clear as to why some women have such problems when some people don't. I think it does have to do with their just general level of health and adrenal health because your adrenals do continue to make some level of female hormones even after menopause. So if you have an intact adrenal, that's helpful. But with vaginal uh, vaginal pain in menopause, it's usually related to dryness and lack of elasticity. So um, for the most part, women were either given over-the-counter, non-hormonal, um, lubricants or vaginal moisturizers. Those helped. I mean, lubricants are certainly helpful, I think, in general. But moisturizers are there to try to help the vaginal tissue retain water. But it doesn't necessarily help the elasticity. It doesn't help the blood flow. So that falls short for a lot of women in terms of what they're looking to experience. The next step is to use vaginal hormones estrogen in particular, or even DHEA and testosterone vaginally, those can help rebuild the tissue. But for a lot of women, they're very conscious about not wanting to expose themselves to hormones because of the concern for other GYN cancers like breast cancer or uterine cancer. And or they have a family history or they have increased risk and they don't want to have to apply hormones to themselves vaginally 
all the time because it's not a treatment that you stop and you're okay. It, it's a long term. I always patients always ask me, so how long should I use this, you know, vaginal estrogen? I'm like, for forever, as long, <laughs> right? For as long as you don't want a dry vagina. As and, soon as you want the dry vagina back, then stop it. This is an end of time situation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you know that's not a great answer for a lot of women. So when we get to vaginal laser, to me. That's just a no-brainer. So the vaginal laser, it's a CO2 laser. It's been used for 30, 40, 50 years in the United States for um, for face rejuvenation as far as anti-wrinkling and building up collagen and elastin. Uh, it has a really long history of use, and it was repurposed in Europe for women specifically with a history of breast cancer who were not candidates for using estrogen. So they developed it in that situation to help with both Vaginal dryness, painful intercourse. Also, for some women, they want some tightening after childbirth. And also urinary stress incontinence. It helps to restore some of the supports under the bladder to prevent leaking urine, which is kind of a plus. Yeah, totally. That sounds... (laughs) And it's a treatment that you do, you have to do it three times, and then you're good for the year. Restores the collagen elastin. You don't have to be sticking stuff, you know, in your vagina every night um, in order to to keep the health. And um, and then you do it once a year. It's just, it's game changer. And it works, I think, more effectively, honestly, because you're not dependent on having to do something every night or a few times a week. It's like one and done. You get treated, you're good for the year, once a year, get your maintenance, just like your, you know, your New York City, your New York State car inspection, just go in that makes so Rotate much sense. Rotate the tires. Right. We're, we're over 50. We, there's a limit to how many things we can remember to do. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, I remember a couple of years ago, back when Fifty Shades of Grey was super hot, that you had said you were recommending it to patients who were struggling with libido. Do you have any other sort of tips or tricks like that? It's like somewhere between vaginal laser therapy and in that book, are there other small tidbits tidbits that you can share so yeah you know libido is super complicated because for women there's a great saying that um a friend of mine who's a compounding pharmacist said he's like you know women need to be relaxed to have sex and men have sex to relax it's and it's so true i mean a guy (laughs) can be doing anything and in the middle of anywhere they're ready to just Drop trow and go. You know, with a woman, it's like, no, I need to be in the mood. I need everything needs to be in place. I have to be calm. It's more complicated. It's we're, more, we're more complicated. Absolutely. So uh, that's that's a little bit why kind of quick fixes are not that available. But let's let's talk a little quick fix. Um, a few things that I'm I'm excited about that I think are have I've seen in my practice have been helpful for women in general for libido. So number one, believe it or not, is CBD. Hmm. So CBD, of course, has to make its mark on everything. Of course. Right? It's, they're making CBD. I into- went to a restaurant recently, and you could get CBD added onto your salad. I was like, <laughs> oh, my Lord. What's going on? Oh, my God. That, I had not heard of Shrimp, that. Shrimp, salmon, CBD. What topper would you like? <laughs> I believe it. And, you know, to be honest, it's just – it is it is kind of a, a – an amazing additive for anything. I mean, I've used it. I use it to help anxiety. I use it for pain and inflammation. I use it for sleep, you know, for patients. But believe it or not, there are some studies that show that CBD is also helpful for libido and increased sexual interest. And I believe that the reason that's the case is because it creates a state of relaxation. That makes so much sense. So, you know, 
And it's not something you have to use constantly to get the benefit. It, it, you know, if you hit the right dose, you'll know within 24 hours because you'll feel it. You'll feel the, like an interest. So that's kind of a cool thing. And CBD is, you know, if you get a quality from a reputable um, place that has third-party verification of its contents and stuff. I mean, you don't want to buy it by, you know, at the gas station, but you, you know, you do want to do a little research about it. But if you get a quality, there's no downside to it. Great. I love that. I want to switch gears for a minute, Anita, and and talk about a your own switch in gears. Several years ago, you made a change in your career. You stopped delivering babies to concentrate on other aspects of women's, you know, gyne- I can't say that word, gynecological <laughs> health. I can't either. Uh, <laughs> hilarious. And you got certified for functional medicine. You left your previous medical practice and you struck out on your own. I, I love second act transition stories. I'm just curious. What what made you make this change? Was it a now or never feeling? You know, how did you lay the groundwork for this career second act? Ooh, that's a nice question. So a few things involved. Um, <clears throat> number one, as I mentioned, I sort of had my personal experience in how um, what transition feels like with that severe fatigue and I and I realized that I did not have answers for myself or for my patients in conventional medicine. So that really pushed me to start looking at other healthcare modalities, more alternative, more integrative, more functional medicine. So that's what, you know, was one of the things that piqued the interest. The second thing was that, you know, as you mentioned at the beginning of this of this podcast, was that you know, I came off of delivering babies in the middle of the night all the time. After 20 years, it was just, it was too much. It was really taking a toll on my health. I mean, you talk about sleep disruption and stress hormone imbalance. You know, as as lovely and wonderful as delivering babies, it's such an honor and a gift to be, be a part of that. It is draining. It's tough. And, you know, after 20 years, I said, I don't think I can continue to do it. So it's sort of the mother necessity, you know, kind of thing. Um, but but really what ultimately pushed me in that direction was that the changes that I could see in my patients when I when I used this type of training to help them was unmatched by anything I had done previously. And there's nothing better than making somebody feel better who's had no help in any direction in which they've turned. That really made the difference for me. And I can give you like a really quick example yes, of a story. Please. There was um, a 16-year-old girl that I saw in my office recently. She, um, wonderful kid, straight-A student, uh, dancer, great friends, eight months prior, all of a sudden developed debilitating social anxiety, debilitating panic, couldn't, had a hard time getting through a day at school with her anxiety and stress. She was being seen by psychologists and psychiatrists and was started on Prozac, you know, standard, and um, wasn't really getting better. So they were looking for another another avenue, and that's how they came to me. They said, could it be hormones? Like, what is it? So in tracking back, I said, well, what was going on, you know, when you started with this? I mean, we didn't really pinpoint any trauma, any friend problem. Like, there was no psychological trigger. What happened was that she was treated for pneumonia. And she was treated, she needed multiple courses of really strong antibiotics. And that was when the anxiety began. It also overlapped with developing horrible IBS, bloating, gas symptoms. So I realized this is her gut. 
this is something to do with her intestinal imbalance. The bacteria, the antibiotics wiped out her beneficial bacteria, allowed other things to grow. She has a ton of inflammation. It's starting from her gut. It's affecting her brain. So that's how I started treating her. And despite COVID, she's done a complete 180 in terms of her health. The anxiety is lifted. She's able to um, hang out with her friends. She's able to go to a store, which was so scary for her. Um, you know, she's actually getting off of her psychotropic medications. That is a wonderful story and just so important to focus in on our gut health. I want to quickly move into a speed round of uh, other good decisions we could be making for our health. I just want maybe a yes or no from you or sort of a thumbs up, thumbs down. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. Yoga. Oh, my God. Thumbs up. Yes, yes. Massage. Yes, yes. Thumbs up. Breath work. 100%. Meditation. 100%. Pelvic floor exercises. Excellent. Adaptogens. Love it. McDonald's. No. (laughs) (laughs) I had to throw in, right, a curveball. Intermittent fasting. Amazing. Primal screaming. Don't know about that one. (laughs) (laughs) Vaginal steaming? No, that'd be a no. (laughs) Sorry, Goop. Yeah. Okay, wine. Wine is um, a question mark. in moderation, which is different for different people, and if it doesn't create anxiety and you don't have sleep issues. Got it. And my very last one, forest bathing. I'll tell you that there, there are two things with that. One, being out in nature, amazing. Resets the adrenal, 100%. Bathing, it depends on what you're bathing in. <laughs> you know, so. TBD, TBD. Anita, you have shared so many wonderful tips and tools with us. Uh, during this session. What's one product or resource you want to make sure our listeners know about before we wrap up? So given that sleep is such an important topic for us today, um, a gadget that I think might be helpful for people is uh, something called the Chili Pad. It's a blanket. It's a weighted blanket that actually can cool you to the desired temperature. So really one important thing for sleep is sleeping in cooler temperatures, something like 68 degrees, ideally. That may not be great for your partner. So if you have your own blanket, your own setup, you can actually help reduce the temperature for yourself. And it really leads to deeper, better sleep, especially if you have hot flashes and night sweats. That sounds so divine. Uh, Anita, how can our listeners keep following all your health tips and learn more about your work? Oh, well, so um, you can hit me up on my website, drsadati.com, D-R-S-A-D-A-T-Y.com. I also have a Facebook page, Redefining Health Medical, as well as an Instagram, Dr. Sadati. Thank you, Anita. This wraps A Certain Age, a show for women over 50 who are aging without apology. Thanks for listening. And if you enjoyed the show and you have amazing women in your life, and I know that you do because you did not make it to 50 without fabulous female friends, please spread the word. You can also help us grow by heading to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review, and visit us at www.acertainagepod.com for show notes and bonus content. Do you have a story of reinvention after 50? We'd love a chance to feature it. Head to acertainagepod.com to share your one-minute story with our listeners. Special thanks to Michael Mancini Music, who composed and produced our theme song. See you next time, and until then, age boldly, beauties.